Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, Hans Hansen, uh, board-certified pain and addiction doctor, medical doctor, and uh, as a couple podcasts goes outside, it was about ready to fall in on me with uh, the weather and all, and today's beautiful. So welcome spring and new beginnings. Everything's beautiful and um, about ready to pop. So I, I want to spend a few minutes talking about what I'm getting, well, asked to talk about a lot, and that's fentanyl. Fentanyl is tearing it up out there. It doesn't take uh, five or ten minutes to listen to the news to hear that uh, the fentanyl crisis is now front and center. Yeah, it is, and estimates are somewhere around 100 to, uh, you know, 150 deaths a day. That's, I think, a little high, but it's important to notice that it is a huge problem, and Today, sadly enough, an infant at an Airbnb with a family staying there uh, succumbed to apparently some found fentanyl. And there was a party at that Airbnb in Florida, and, you know, a little goes a long way. About the size of a eraser head in a, quote, pill of fentanyl uh, is apparently uh, lethal. Well, let me tell you my world. And I have a long history of opioids uh, use and understanding. And it goes back to my training in anesthesia. I trained at Yale and I did a lot of hearts. And back in the day, we did hearts with fentanyl where we... Uh, put people to sleep with fentanyl because fentanyl is a very uh, cardiovascularly stable drug. It can be given to those that have uh, heart and potential lung problems, that sort of thing, with proper support. And you can put them to sleep and do very invasive things. And throughout the years, since 1959 when it was formulated, this synthetic opioid has been very useful in the operative setting. It is a fantastic drug there. Yep, in the operative setting. Hands of an anesthesiologist that can manage an airway, that can help assist with breathing, that can understand if blood pressure goes up or down, and is monitoring every heartbeat. That's what it's all about. That drug was developed as a synthetic opioid. So what's the difference? Synthetic or, quote, natural debates. The natural opioids come from a plant. That would be the codeines, that would be the uh, morphines and the like. And it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of work to get them from poppy uh, to uh, actual production uh, to the shelf, I'll call it the shelf, by legitimate means, that being the pharmacist or pharmacy or wherever, um, it's a manufacturing process that is um, carefully regulated, 
the milligram per uh, pill per dose is carefully monitored and understood through laboratory analysis and what you see what you get okay so 10 milligrams in 10 cc one milligram per mil you know you draw it up and you give it iv morphine and that's real um okay when you're giving other medicines like oxycodone or hydrocodone those are other drugs that are manufactured, um, well, they're involved in manufacturing, and they're kind of hard to get. And their process of um, distribution, purity, and understanding uh, by those that prescribe and those that dispense is clear. It's very clear. It's a triangle. There's the FDA. The FDA is charged with distribution. The pharmacist is charged with dis- uh, with getting the prescription to the patient in uh, the proper prescribed recommendations from the physician or healthcare provider. So <clears throat> it's a triangle. Most people don't realize the DEA really doesn't have anything to do with um, telling somebody what they can give or how much they can give. Uh, They're to get the drug out, and they're helping us now with the opioid issues by uh, maybe putting the brakes on a little bit and monitoring where the hot spots are for opioids. So, you know, the deal is this. Here's the opioid, the opioid epidemic, and... I was using fentanyl in the operating room for hearts and for other procedures, a lot of other procedures. It's used in the ER. It's sometimes used uh, as outpatient um, under carefully controlled situations. It's a really good drug. And let me tell you, a real common comment with fentanyl was, my chest is getting tight. I'm having trouble breathing. That is not respiratory suppression, so to speak, you know, where you get it in the central nervous system at the medulla, the respiratory drive center. It's where the chest wall from the uh, mechanisms that help you breathe, the muscles and the like, they get tight. And I heard that all the time when I was giving fentanyl for induction. That's putting someone to sleep in the heart room because we were given a lot of it. And so we would check the drug out based on the cases. So you'd, back then in the day, we'd do two hearts a day. They're four or five hours each, uncomplicated. They're, I mean, they took a while. And you had so much fentanyl in folks, you kept them with the breathing tube in on a ventilator for a while. You took them to the ICU and got the breathing tube out usually the next day, whatever. That's all changed. But... Bottom line is fentanyl is a great drug. So we get these 20 cc vials. Typically, we'd give 80 to 120 cc's of 50 micrograms. Now, remember the term microgram, not milligram. Um, And we give 20 cc's, um, slowly watch the vitals and that sort of thing. And then we would uh, push it. Um, a little further until we had an induction. That would be my dogs. So the induction dose um, 
would be quite a bit, but usually patients are pretty stable. And um, they'd go to sleep. We'd give a muscle relaxer, put the breathing tube in, and we'd have an uneventful procedure. Great drug. It's a great drug. Used properly. Got that? Used properly. Now, those 20cc vials had five extra cc's in them. Believe it or not. So at the rough, let's just say that typical induction dose, 100 cc's, how many would you have if you had five vials? Well, you'd have um, five times five, 25 cc's of fentanyl at 50 mics per mil. Think about that. That's a lot of fentanyl. Huge amount. Unacceptable today. We used to call them party CCs. No one abused fentanyl back then unless there were problems. And, yes, they did pull people out from under stalls and they uh, were abusing in the operating room. Yeah, those stories are out there, and I've seen a couple. But you know what? Pretty rare. So, anyway, that's fentanyl. And then um, in the 90s, the fentanyl patch came along. And then after that, um, that's a heron down there. <laughs> Those dogs are barking a heron. Um, after that, the fentanyl um, started being produced by Janssen. And it was produced to... Uh, used as an outpatient for analgesia. You know, I really didn't see it in in pill form. I just didn't see it. Um, I know it's it could be done, it could be formulated, it could be compounded by a special pharmacy, but the bottom line is it was a patch, usually, a 25 mic, 50 mic, 100 mic, 75 mic, whatever patch, and it was used a lot in cancer pain, and then we would eventually evolve to these suckers, and we used those when I was a resident. We used them uh, when I was a resident in, in the recovery to try to induce uh, pediatrics or to try to get people to relax and get them ready for surgery. It was a, it was not good. But then uh, some other uh, brand name, Fentora, came out, and other suckers came out. Yeah, supplement. Uh, um, some other, it doesn't matter, but it, it became a problem and was uh, uh, prosecuted eventually. But bottom line is this, fentanyl was out there. Fentanyl became important. So how did it become important? Let me tell you a little bit about OxyContin. So OxyContin kind of came along from the parent drug, Oxycodone. That's a... Uh, a drug that's pretty common. You've heard of it as uh, Percocet, uh, Percodan, whatever, mixed with uh, uh, acetaminophen, aspirin, whatever. Uh, and it's a Schedule II drug that does not say potency. The schedule of a drug is not potency. It's abuse potential. That's often misunderstood, even by healthcare providers. Schedule two and three does not potency. It's abuse potential. So um, here we had oxycodone in 96. I can remember those um, uh, reps and from Janssen and others, uh, the pharmaceutical folks coming in. And this is a great drug. This is a great drug. 
Um, and you ought to think about using it. It's pharmacokinetically very stable. You can put a patch on. You leave it for 72 hours. It has a little fall-off effect. So even though you take it off at 72 hours, you still got some left. Okay. Uh, you know, that's what the patch did. Oxycontin was a front-row seat. Um, when you took Oxycontin, 30% of it was released within an hour. That's what I was told. I never really believed it. But, boy, I think it was a front-row seat. And it came in 80 and 160 milligrams. Are you kidding me? Well, of course, those are off the market now. But can you imagine that? You know, all that oxycodone just being released, well, it could be crushed. It could be snorted. So the love for opioids started evolving. Uh, Jensen, Purdue, uh, the Sacklers, the Sacklers are the one that pretty much got a lot of this opioid stuff going. They uh, were part of a, a big settlement, government settlement. I think it was about $12 billion, you know, through all the states and all the different agencies. And um, I think they declared bankruptcy, and it's still available. Oxycodone is still available. It's got a abuse uh, potential technology, but it's defeatable. So, you know, there's Oxycontin, Oxycodone, and fentanyl. So this is what I had to deal with. And I'm going to go back, and I'm referencing uh, this, and I remember these articles. Partners Against Pain, that was Jansen, um, Use of Opioids in Chronic Non-Cancer Pain, Year 2000. Yeah. Dispelling Myths About Opioids, Brochure for Physician. Uh, it, 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 it pretty much came from this Porter article in New England Journal of Med. New England Journal of Med. Addiction Rare in Patients Treated with Narcotics. Well, management of pain during debridement, a survey of U.S. burn units. What happened in these um, articles from the 80s, early 80s, is there are very few numbers. And actually, the fallacy of false generalization, that's a philosophical statement actually, happened when the uh, false assumptions were made and it just extrapolated and got a life of its own. I think the Federation of State Medical Boards actually said, go ahead, give give pain med. Pain is the fifth vital sign. And, and you know, it was asked in hospitals. And don't get me going on that one. But it was pursued. And if you did not have a handle on pain, you sometimes had sanctions placed on you you know bless the er folks you know uh so leave it as it is off to the races we go hello fentanyl all right so this is the deal with fentanyl um fentanyl is pretty much uh it's out there it's here to stay um it's easy to make it's synthetic which means you don't have to grow it like a plant and therefore it's kind of, you know, a no-brainer. You can make it, and it doesn't break it. You can make it cheap. And the ingredients come from China. I think everyone knows that. But you know what? India is right in there, too. 
So folks that don't know that, India, China, mostly Mexico, yeah, the cartels are involved, but there's a lot of nefarious people. And it goes right into America, too. So Wilmington, east of me, I had a clinic in Southport, south of there, a charming town, coastal town. And what happens is... A lot of these boats would come in, and they'd throw the fentanyl, illicit drugs, I don't know, marijuana, I suppose, whatever, overboard. And the fishing boats, uh, shrimp boats or whatever, allegedly, I never saw it, but it was like urban legend around there, um, would go out, pick up the bales. And if they lost the bales, who cares? I mean, it's cheap and easy to make. And a big bale of fentanyl goes and makes a lot of drugs for the street value. So that's an urban legend. I can't verify it. Uh, you know, you know, I'm kind of sitting here winking. I think it's true. So that's one way. I mean, it's just the way it is. There are so many ways to get this drug in through Canada, through Mexico. Um, it's, it's it's there's demand. Hello, it's here. Um, it's easy to make. Um, it's readily available. As you know, it has been uh, purported to come in the form of candy like chiclets or um, other candies that are colored and kids don't know what it is. And who knows that this poor kid in Florida picked up uh, this drug and... You know, it thought it was candy, and there you go. You know, we got a problem. So, okay, so fentanyl. About 100 times, probably more, some less uh, potent than uh, morphine, which is the gold standard at one milligram. Everything else is uh, kind of rated against it, either five times, ten times, whatever. It doesn't matter for this discussion. Uh, it's metabolized and distributed throughout the body. It goes to the opioid receptors. It goes to the central nervous system. Henceforth, we quit breathing, and it goes fast. It has a sh- pretty short half-life. In other words, it doesn't last very long. So um, the thing about the fentanyl is the front row seat. Um, it's got it, too. So you can spray it on... Uh, so many things like marijuana. You don't know what you're getting. I know of uh, a guy who was an addict who went through rehab and um, went through a real good rehab program. And a friend of mine uh, knew him well, and he was found. He was found in a car in a parking lot, um, and he was resuscitated with uh, Narcan. Thank God that the uh, folks at uh, uh, the uh, mall there had Narcan. He was resuscitated. Um, another uh, very sad situation. A gal who worked at a major pharmaceutical company um, who was, oh God, she was delightful. She was very smart, had um, a lot of credentials, and she was an executive at a major pharmaceutical company, but was promoting other products, um, came into her office uh, virtually three times a week, uh, it was about five, ten years ago, and she was going down to a booth uh, and was going to 
have her product and that sort of thing at a at a meeting. Never made the meeting. Stopped at Applebee's, met a guy. Uh, her car was found with the side of it caved in. Hit a guardrail. She was dead in the back seat. Um, apparently, she had a, a problem with fentanyl. Uh, and this was a few years ago. And it, it just is like, what? And where did that come from? And it can be anybody. So you need to know that. It can be anybody. So um, those things I talked about, about people that have potential addictions, you need to be aware of that. They tend to be dismissive. You know, their their desires to enjoy things are down. They have cravings. They're emotional. Or they have a lack of emotional. They isolate themselves. They have poor sleep. Huge amounts of caffeine, cigarettes, or whatever, um, the other drugs. Um, and maybe they smoke marijuana because you know, marijuana is one of those drugs. They say it's not addictive. It is one of the big ones for addiction. So let me let me tell you a little bit about um, what I know with uh, uh, fentanyl as far as uh, the important stuff to know. Is there fentanyl withdrawal? Dang right there is. And the fentanyl withdrawal is cravings, anxiety, sweating, poor sleep, muscle aching, you know, the usual stuff. It also screws up people's minds and they get anxious, very restless. I don't know what's going on. And sometimes it's mistaken for um, pain and more pain meds are given because they have a lot of aches and pains, musculoskeletal, GI, nausea, vomiting, and that sort of thing. So between two and four hours, very short-acting drug, you start to get symptoms of uh, withdrawal from fentanyl. And then somewhere around 24, uh, 40 hours, somewhere in there, um, to a peak of about two to four days, you're getting full withdrawal. It can't really be done well as a, uh outpatient. Uh, people get this thing called a pink cloud, and uh, Bill from Alcoholics Anonymous really described this thing. Uh, excessive feelings. Uh, you really are ignoring life. You, everything looks like pink clouds. Um, and then you start... Um, experiencing pleasure but then you don't want pleasure then you start getting guilt remorse and all this sort of thing all the negative feelings and you sometimes get this low self-esteem anger that you're, you're mad that you're doing this so fentanyl withdrawal ten, tends to be ignoring reality that pink cloud ignoring reality, negative feelings. You don't get pleasure. Um, how long does it last? Yeah, I don't know. I don't think anybody knows, but it's it's usually a while. Um, you have cravings, uh, desire to use, and it can go on and on. Um, you can have triggers. Trigger is you, you might be walking down the street in that reward pathway we talked about in the science uh, section of addiction. Uh, can just be triggered, and all of a sudden dopamine's going, and you got to have that drug, and you want to go use, and you want to suppress that 
anxiety and anxious feeling that you have when you don't have that drug. And that's why methadone and buprenorphine need to be really understood. And I will talk about naltrexone, the big save drug, um, that Narcan. <coughs> so, you know, I got to tell you, there's a drug out there and we got to get it out more often. It's called naltrexone and you can give it monthly and it blocks the effects of fentanyl. So you got an 18-year-old, 16, 18, 14-year-old, they're going to a party. You know, it used to be don't drink and drive. Now it's like don't take anything. You don't know what it is. If you think it's hydrocodone or you think it's an oxycodone, like a Percocet, you don't know what it is. Um, there was a uh, poor mother who was uh, – I saw just on TV. This is this is why I'm doing this. I just saw her on TV. She was um, talking in front of Congress. She lost both her sons. They went to parties. One of the kids, it was just the day after – he was partying the day after uh, graduation from high school, and he thought he was taking a Percocet. Nope. Fentanyl. And he died. So um, you got it. You got to know what's out there. And naltrexone, if you got a monthly naltrexone, he'd be going to college right now because that's where he was bound. Um, just so you know, just so you know. And buprenorphine is a great drug. It's not uh, replacing one for another. No, it's a great drug. It's an opioid replacement, takes care of cravings, sometimes decreases the feelings of desire for the drug sometimes blocks it a little i you got to be careful saying that methadone that's a whole nother discussion so um don't do anything with fentanyl cold turkey get help get professional help oh gosh yes don't do anything at home go to the er if you have to but do not do it at home if you gotta um get this drug out of you you can get it out of you, you can get help it's great it's a it's a great opportunity to face a problem and change your life. Go to 2.0. So um, what else can you expect? An opioid, when it's used recreationally, usually starts in stages. Uh, I don't talk about this much because I don't really believe in drug abuse starting in stages, but it does to some degree. You can say it. Um, you can't experiment a little. You can't with fentanyl. <laughs> You can't experiment with it because it'll, it'll take your life away too easily. Uh, then you kind of take a little more, and then you start getting the cravings, and then you got to have it, and then you seek it. You seek it to avoid the withdrawal. That's what most people do. Withdrawal and addiction are not moral failings. They are a physiologic effect of the drug, and a mental health issue, and you got to address it. Okay, what else do opioids do? Well, we're going to talk a lot about that, and some of the other podcasts have a lot about it. Um, if you're using something like fentanyl regularly or other opioids, you're going to have constipation. You're going to have um, feelings of anhedonia. You just don't care. Uh, you don't want to sit around in a corner and watch TV. I mean, isolationism is huge. Uh, you're going to itch from the histamine release. That's not an allergy. It's a histamine release. Sometimes it's more with morphine. Um, I mean, you're going to get side effects. People are going to, they're going to see it. As a matter of fact, I have heard of a story, again, urban legend, where a doctor that had problems with opioids um, cleaned up, uh, went to rehab, which is good. 
and came back, and another doctor noticed he was scratching his nose, scratching his nose, scratching his nose, and sure enough, they were using again histamine release. Got him help before the disaster. But I, I think that's enough about fentanyl right now. Uh, there's more to come with fentanyl, I'm sure. But the point is, this drug has been around for a while, since 59. It has its uh, medical uses. It should not be banned. It is a really good drug to be considered in the proper hands for the right reasons, doing the right thing for the right reasons, like I always say. And um, moms and dads and those that love those that are there and out there and at risk, you have options to decrease the risk, and you should talk it over with a qualified healthcare professional. This is not medical advice. This is uh, this is an information podcast. Please get help if you need it. You have to go to the ER. Go to the ER, but don't don't. Don't take a chance. Okay, well, you know, thanks for listening, but I, I wanted the um, fentanyl discussion to start here. I'm sure there'll be others, but let's uh, let, let's keep the discussion going. Love to hear from you. There'll be community. There'll be uh, uh, places that you can jump into paininformation.com and, and let me know what you think. I need some feedback, and I appreciate uh, everything you do. Um, Thanks again, all, and uh, come on back. Come on back and see me. I'm going to put some YouTubes in here. I, sorry, they're a little corny, but uh, we'll get some YouTubes uh, in the podcast and on the webpage, and uh, we'll do some courses, too. So anything I can do to help, let me know. Informational channel, get help where you need it. This is not a medical channel, no medical advice. Okay, thanks. Bye. Bye.